Welcome to the Faith Pampa Podcast, the podcast ministry of Faith Bible Church in Pampa, Texas. Each week, our pastors share a message from the scriptures to glorify God through the equipping, encouraging, and building up of the fellowship to grow in Christ and make disciples. This week, Pastor Dylan Hill will share a message from Joshua 1, 10 through 18, where we will see that the holy and faithful God we serve calls on his people to resolve themselves fully to the work of the kingdom. Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 10 through 18 today. Again, just to give you context from last week, we had a look at Joshua's commission and taking over as leader of the nation of Israel in the aftermath of Moses' death. And we looked at how God's faithfulness makes it possible for us then to obey and do likewise to advance his kingdom. This week we're going to turn our attention to then Joshua's address to the leaders of the nation as he is giving them instructions before they actually cross over into the promised land. So we pick up here in verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that Yahweh your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, your, the servant of Yahweh, commanded you saying, Yahweh your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until Yahweh gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may Yahweh your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be confident and strong. Pray and seek the Lord's guidance before we enter into a time of study in His Word. Father, we do give you thanks that you have faithfully delivered this Word by the hand of your prophet and preserved it for us to this day, that we might study the Word of our God and know the God of the Word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would deal bountifully with your slaves, that we may live and keep your Word and open our eyes to see wonderful things from your instruction. Guide us into the truth of your word that we might see clearly and respond wisely in faithful obedience so we might be conformed to the image of God in Christ to make your glory and salvation known to the lost and dying, that we would resolve ourselves to the work of the kingdom to make you known. Lord, I do pray that you would speak to your people during this time from your word by your spirit and that I would not speak from the empty arrogance of knowledge so that your people would be built up, equipped, and encouraged, and that your name would be honored and glorified above all others. We pray this all in the blessed name of Jesus the Christ, our King. Amen. 
So you're probably familiar with this concept. We've heard, of the, I think, a lot recently in our culture, the idea of burning your ships. Um, this particular practice has been attributed to a variety of historical events, some of which did happen, some of which didn't happen. Um, but the idea is this. You have people who come over with forces or explorers in ships across the sea, and they get to a location, and for the leader to ensure that his people that he brought with him are committed to what lies ahead, they command that the ships be burnt. So there's no escape. It's move forward. And the same sort of idea can be found, again, across different historical events, but the same sort of idea has been applied to our spiritual lives as well. That we need to see this call on our lives to commit, to cast off what's behind, that there's no escape, there's no going back. It's all movement forward, committed to the kingdom with nothing held back. And in other words, we burn our ships, we leave all that behind and commit to what lies ahead in Christ, but particularly with a focus to accomplishing the work of his kingdom that he has sent us to do. And so today we're going to look at Joshua 1, 10 through 18, at this resolve for the kingdom. And our main idea for today is going to be this, that the holy and faithful God we serve calls on his people to resolve themselves fully to the work of the kingdom. But if this is the case, then we'll see that, first of all, we must ready ourselves for that kingdom work by abiding in Christ. But secondly, we need to remember our obligations to that kingdom work. And finally, we need to resolve ourselves to that work and commit to it. Now, last week, again, we looked at how Joshua was called to trust in the faithfulness of the Lord in order that he could obey and lead his people into the land, likewise into obedience. Today we're going to look at how the nation resolved themselves to the work of taking possession of the land for the glory of God. Now I do want to point out something that's very important, As again, as we're looking at the Old Testament. We need to remember that the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus and his kingdom. And so when we read these texts, these are absolutely real people who had real experiences with the Lord in real places. But as Jesus points out to the men on the road to Emmaus, all of this was pointing forward to him. And so Jesus is the greater Joshua, the greater leader. We're going to see that Joshua fails in some respects. Jesus does not. Israel stands in in these narratives a lot of times as a representative of God's people as a whole. Sometimes they do a good job obeying. Sometimes they don't. Unfortunately, oftentimes they don't. And the land that they're taking possession of often points forward to Christ's kingdom. And so we're going to see how we relate into this story as it points forward to our own context as we're living after the resurrection of Jesus, working toward his kingdom ends. And so we pick up here in Joshua chapter 1, verse eight, excuse me, 10 through 18. Now last week we were in this first major section of the text, and again, I will zoom in because my eyes are terrible, um, but we're in this first section where Joshua is taking up this leadership role in Israel, and we're looking specifically at chapter 1 as Israel is being called to look back to see what it looks like to obey the instructions they've been given through the prophet Moses as they move forward into the land. And so the first idea we're going to look at today is readying ourselves, to ready yourself for the work of the kingdom. So Joshua begins here in verses 10 through 11, addressing the officials of the people. Uh, these are the people who had been put in positions of leadership over the nation, underneath the leadership of Moses, and now Joshua is taking up the leadership over them. 
And he tells them to pass through the camp, to go into the middle of the people, and to announce to them that they need to prepare provisions, to get themselves ready for the work of crossing over the river. Now, as I mentioned, if it were just you and your buddy crossing over the Jordan River, not necessarily the most difficult task. We're talking over a million people, men, women, children, the elderly, livestock, supplies, uh, dwellings of tents, and all sorts of other things they've got to take over this river. And as we'll see later in the narrative, again, this river is at flood stage at this season of the year. And so this is a very substantial task, and so they've got a lot of preparations to make before they make this crossing. And so he tells them in three days this is going to happen, so they needed to prepare themselves for this work to go into the land that the Lord had given to them. So what does this look like? You're going to make material uh, preparations. You're obviously going to look at what you need, what you don't need, what can be left behind, what can move forward with you, the food you need, the clothing you need, the livestock you need all the preparations you need to make for the care of the elderly, the children. Also, personal preparation needs to be made to personally prepare yourself for what's about to happen. It's not going to be easy. This is a very physical task that's going to take effort. And so they need to emotionally prepare themselves for what's about to happen, this crossing that they're going to make. But ultimately, most importantly, is the spiritual preparations they need to be making as well. And although this isn't literally stated in the text, there is an extent to which these people need to prepare themselves for the fact they're about to enter into a land that is hostile. Not just the surroundings and the environment, but the people there are hostile against them. Why? Because they're coming in to take their land. And we looked at that several weeks back. And so there, there is again this call to trust in the Lord and His faithfulness in order to obey and go in and do what they have been called to do. And so they need to be making all these preparations for themselves before they enter into the land. And so this is what he's calling on the officials to go and do. Now for us, as we begin to look at what it means for us to make ourselves ready, there is one critical factor that we have to do in order to make ourselves ready for the kingdom work of going in and progressing the kingdom of God. Because again, this land that they're going into represents, again, this advancement of God's kingdom, this kingdom that represents him to the nations. And the thing that we need to be prepared to do is to ready ourselves by abiding in Christ. So if we were to go to John chapter 15, we actually get this very helpful image that the Lord gives to his disciples about what it means to abide in him. And we'll look at more technical definition of what abiding is here in a moment. But let's read this text. John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he gives them this image. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." The idea here is not just that they are going to bear fruit in the sense of doing good works, although that is absolutely part of it. The context here is also the fruit of advancing the kingdom of God, 
of proclaiming the good news of Jesus, of representing Him well so that the sinner repents and turns to the Lord in faith. That is part of the fruit that is to be borne out as they are obeying. But they have to abide in Him if they are to see that to come to fruition. So this is specifically starting to focus them more in on the kingdom work of advancing His kingdom. C.S. Lewis um, had a quote uh, that I thought was very helpful in this sense. He said, if you asked me to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend the first two minutes sharpening my axe. The idea is that preparation is extremely important. It is worthy of our time. And so we do need to take the time, as we're considering advancing the kingdom, to actually do the preparatory work that it takes to do that well and to represent Christ well. And so for us, this is really an aspect that we talk about a lot here at Faith Bible Church. We say so often growing in Christ and making disciples. Well, this is the growing in Christ aspect. So let's talk about what it means to abide in Christ. The time to get ready is now. It's not when you actually get out and do it, always doing it now. Now, bear in mind, you're never going to arrive at complete and utter readiness. It's going to be an ongoing process for the rest of your life. But if you're not doing any readiness at all, you're going to have a problem. And so the first place, again, that we need to go is abiding in Christ. Um, if you're familiar with J.C. Ryle, Anglican pastor of yesteryear uh, in the uh, 1800s, I believe, he said, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Jesus, to be always leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring our hearts out to Him, and using Him as our fountain of life and strength as our chief companion and best friend. To have His words abiding in us is to keep His sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. That is probably one of the best definitions I have ever heard of abiding in Christ. Because abide is not a word we normally use a lot. We, uh, another translation that's equally as helpful is remain in Him. But this is what it looks like. It is to lean completely upon Him and His resources, to look again to His faithfulness and obedience in order for us to be faithfully obedient to what He's called us to do. And so if we were to look at His definition here, first of all, it is, again, trusting in His faithful obedience. It's trusting in His grace as He transforms us, as we come before Him in repentance, confessing our sin, seeking His grace to grow in His likeness. It's trusting in His power to work through us as we go out to make Him known, as we have those conversations with our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones, our family, our co-workers. We begin to sacrificially serve them in His strength. We begin to have spiritual conversations with them in His guiding power. And we share the gospel trusting in what He will do through that, not in our own ability to be eloquent, not in our own ability to convince and persuade people, but for His grace to work in their hearts as we share the good news of Jesus. But it also means that we do need to develop certain habits. We need to have a consistency in prayer. There's a phrase in the Lord's Prayer that we, I think we often overlook, and it's give us this day our daily bread. The reality is if you're asking for daily bread, what are you going to have to do the following day? Ask for bread again, because all you asked for was that day's bread. Now you're going to have to come the next day and ask for bread for that day. And then the next day, you're going to have to come and ask for bread for that day. That becomes emblematic of our constant need for His grace. 
to go before Him daily seeking His grace for that day. Trusting in that day's grace, which then forces you the next day to go and seek grace for that day. But it's this constant habit of going back to remain in Him, to seek strength from Him, to rely upon Him, and to be constantly in fellowship with Him in prayer. It also, again, means consistency in the study of Scripture. We looked at this last week, how Joshua was called to constantly speak about Scripture, to meditate on it day and night, to not cease to discuss it with others, to read it, to learn it, to obey it, to live it. Again, I mention this to you. I know there are those of you who are not readers and not studiers, and I I get that. I'm the nerd that would read until my eyeballs fell out. But when it comes to the Scriptures, that cannot be an excuse. It would be irresponsible with the access we have to the Word of God for you not to spend time in His Word day and night to create that consistency of being in His Word, whether it's just reading your three chapters every day so that you can get through your year-long reading through the Scriptures, whether it's reading a chapter and just writing down three things that you picked up from that, that you saw, whatever it is, little or great, it would be irresponsible for us not to spend the time there. We have to have consistency in that if we're to build up an understanding of what obedience looks like and who our God is. And then we need to have a proper view to our reality of our life in Christ. Your life is not your own. It is Christ's. So whatever you think your life is about that's not about Christ and advancing His kingdom, you're wrong. All of that has to be in subjection to that end. Your work, your family, your hobbies, everything. Every choice you make, every purchase you do, every calendar event you put in, we'll talk a little more about this in a little bit, everything has to be asked that question, how does this help advance the kingdom? How does this help me to grow to advance the kingdom? And that can seem pretty overwhelming when we start picking into every little area of our life and start saying, okay, yeah, but how does this advance the glory of Christ. But we need to get in that habit. This is how we ready ourselves for that work because we start asking that question more instinctively over time the more we do it. So again, the key to readying ourselves is abiding in Christ. And prayer, scripture, and meditation on these things help us to do that better. These are tools to that end. All right, so any questions here or comments? All right. So again, Joshua calls upon the people to ready themselves. For us, this means that we do need to ready ourselves for the work of the kingdom by abiding in Christ and training ourselves to abide in Him. But the next thing is that he was helping them remember their obligations, and we too need to remember our obligations. So we get into this very strange series of comments in verses 12 through 15. And if you don't have any background, you get very confused because you're like, wait a minute, I, I thought they were going into the land. How do they already have land that they were taking possession of? Well, this actually goes all the way back to Numbers chapter 32. And in that chapter, what we see is the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and actually, by implication, half of the tribe of Manasseh, they actually come to this land east of the Jordan River, if I can get my laser to work, in this area right through here. And they're pretty taken with that 
segment of land. They think, you know what, this is good land for livestock. We, this would be a good place for us to just park and not go into the land. You know, this, this actually will work great for us. And so they approach Moses and say, hey, you, you know what, we, we, this land's great. We're, we're super satisfied with this for our livestock and for our families and to raise up our inheritance here. Can we just stay here? Needless to say, Moses gets a little frustrated about this because then his problem is, so you're going to stay here, not cross over the Jordan and help your brothers and sisters take possession of the land. That's a lot of manpower that's taken away in the blink of an eye from going and doing. So what those tribes actually agree to do is say, they say this, we will leave our wives, children, livestock, possessions east of the Jordan, and we will cross over with the rest of the nation with our armed men to go help take possession of the land. And Moses says, okay, fine, but you will help until it's taken possession of, then you can go back. And they agree to this. Fair enough. And so, interestingly, in that same passage, Moses goes to Eliezer and Joshua and says, hey, just a heads up, when you guys take over, just remember what we told them. The expectation is they cross over, they help, then they go back. If they're not going to help, they don't get that land. They have to go into the land and take possession there. And so he actually reminds Joshua in, to ensure that this is the case. Well, then Joshua comes back here at the beginning of uh, this text here to remind them of their obligation, that they said they would go into the land and help advance the possession of the kingdom. And so these three particular tribes had this obligation to the advancement of God's kingdom in possession of that land. And it would have been very, very tempting for them to just kind of forget that obligation, to become passive and just stay where they were, because they had already taken possession of all that. They would found all their cities they were going to settle in, rebuilt it, got settled in. It would have been very easy for them to just relax and settle in and not go help. But the reality is, Joshua's coming to them here to remind them of this obligation, and we're going to see in a moment that they actually do move ahead and fulfill that obligation. But it was important that Joshua remind them of this obligation that they had to not just sit on their laurels and enjoy the rest of their land without going in to help the rest of the nation. And here's the thing. Imagine the faith this would have taken. They've got to leave their families, their livestock, all their possessions east of the Jordan, trusting that the Lord will take care of them while they go and help. I mean, they're sending their strongest men across the way but still trusting that there will be rest for them back on the other side when they're done. It's a huge, huge issue for them. But nonetheless, they continue their faithfulness and go over to help, and we'll see that later on. So they do. They, they, they will, in verses 14 and 15, leave their women, their children, their livestock, all back in those lands, pass over to help take possession of the land, and then again, once they have found rest in their land, then they can return for rest in the lands that they had on the east of the Jordan. And so it was important, again, that they remembered their obligations to the rest of the nation and not just take the rest that they had gained, that there was still work to do to go in and help advance God's kingdom, to settle into the land that they were supposed to settle into so that the entire nation of Israel could properly represent the glory and salvation of the Lord to all nations as they had been called to do. And so likewise for us, this means that we need to remember our obligations to God's kingdom. 
Being in Christ means two things. Well, it means lots of things, but two for our purposes today. First of all, it does mean salvation. It does mean that you have rest in Christ. We see this in the book of Hebrews, that Christ has become our rest. He has become our Sabbath rest. He has become our rest because we know we will enter safely into His kingdom. And it would be very easy for us to look at that and say, well, okay, good, I've got my ticket in, I'm good, I can, I can relax and, and do my thing. Yeah, of course I have faith in Jesus, yeah, sure, 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 sure. And get into the kingdom and just do nothing. But the reality is the second thing this means is service for His kingdom. This means sacrificially loving service to the lost and dying so that you can build relationships with them, so that you can begin to have spiritual conversations with them, so that sharing the gospel is very natural in those contexts. You can't just take the salvation and sit and do nothing. So one of the problems we face in our culture is consumerism. And that has very much made its way into the warp and woof of the church. The very fabric of American church has leaned so heavily in the direction of consumerism. And by that I mean this. I got my ticket into salvation. I got my ticket into the kingdom. I come and hear a nice message to encourage me on Sunday. And then I go home and that's it. There is no impetus to actually go into the obligation to make the kingdom known, to advance the kingdom, to advance the message of glory of Christ. It's all about what do I get out of it. And you can even see this in things like church membership. The question people often ask about church membership is what do I get out of it? That's a very consumeristic kind of question. The question is, how do we all benefit from you committing in your membership to all of us? Now, you do get things out of it, absolutely. But it's not just about you. It's about you serving for the greater glory of Christ and His kingdom. And so we need to be very careful about that. Because here's the reality. Matthew chapter 28. We've received a commission. And I know this is going to be cliche, and you know I'm not huge on cliches. But you've probably heard that this is called the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. This is a point of obedience. We hear Jesus say this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Going, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is not a suggestion. This is not for the super-Christian this is for everyone. This is a commission for all of us. We have all been given this obligation to go and advance His kingdom. And so one of my absolute all-time favorite passages is 2 Corinthians five sixteen through 21 Because this is Paul's description of what it means for us to represent His kingdom to the nations. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So first of all, you have the first side of that, the reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God. We have security in entering into his kingdom. Praise and glory be to God. 
But notice now there's an obligation. We've been reconciled, now we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. To go and preach reconciliation to those who are lost, to those who need to be reconciled to God. And so he goes on in verse 19 and says this, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, of course, the context is specifically the apostles and the disciples who have gone out in evangelical mission. But by implication and extension, it comes to us as well. Now, listen to this. Therefore, we... I'm sorry, I, I got cut off there. Um, yes, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What it means to be an ambassador is you are now a representative of his kingdom and no other. You are now sent into the world to represent him. As I've so often pointed out time and time again, to be an image of God in the ancient world meant to be a representative of God. And so we have this obligation now to go and make him known, to advance his kingdom. And there is no greater obligation than the gospel ministry to go and build relationships with people so that we can share the good news of Jesus. Now, let's talk about the evidence of your awareness of this. So there are two areas of your life that are going to show anybody where you feel like your obligations are and whether or not you are evidencing your awareness of your obligation to the kingdom. So can I see your calendar and your bank account? Because your calendar and your bank account are going to betray exactly where you feel like your obligations are. What you spend your money on and what you spend your time on are going to evidence where you feel like your obligations actually are. Now, I may look at your calendar and your bank account and say, well, yeah, it's obvious that you feel like you're obligated to the gospel. And I speak somewhat metaphorically here because, of course, I'm a bad calendar keeper, admittedly so. Um, so I, I, I use way too much copy-paste of events in my calendar. Um, but if you think about where you spend your time, think about where you spend your money, there are other things that you could possibly be doing too that would evidence that as well. What do your conversations look like? What is the content of your conversations? Is it always about the weather? Is it always about politics? Are these things helping to advance the kingdom of God? And so we need to be very, very careful as we look upon our lives. We can say all we want that, oh yeah, of course, I think that my highest obligation is the kingdom of God. But do the rest of your areas of your life actually evidence this? And finally, again, this is a matter of obedience. To not do this is to be in disobedience to God. This is our highest obligation, and everything in your life should be pointing in that direction. So we would do well as we examine our own lives to remember that obligation and to actually make it our obligation. So again, we need to ready ourselves by abiding in Christ and remember our obligations to the kingdom of God. All right, any questions or comments at this point? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. So J.C. Ryle, again, this is his definition of abiding. Um, I can certainly, I, you know what I'll do? I'll put this in the newsletter, too, if you want to be able to see it again. Because, again, I think it's a wonderful definition. To abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Jesus, to be always leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring out our hearts to Him, and using Him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. To have His words abiding in us is to keep His sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds, and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. So, yeah, definitely one of the best definitions I've ever seen of that. It's very, very helpful. And you, can, and you can take the word abide out again and just put to remain in him, if that helps. Yes? Yeah, that's a great question. So remain means I am constantly in one. First of all, just in general, it just means to be in one place and to stay there, okay? So the idea here is I'm constantly staying with Jesus. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and to clarify, I would say when I say your calendars and your bank accounts, are those calendars and bank accounts focused on being with people? Are they focused on actually building relationships? Are they focused on serving people? Are they focused on things other than yourself, if that makes sense? But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Any other questions, comments? All right, so all of this, readying ourselves, remembering our obligations, comes down to this, to resolving ourselves to the work of the kingdom. So we get into verses 16 and 17 and 18 here. And at this point, the leaders turn back to Joshua after they've been told to do all these things, and they make this declaration of obedience that they are going to do what they've been called to do. They're going to make ready. They're going to remember their obligations. They're going to fulfill their obligations. This is their declaration. Now, it can be very tempting for us to look particularly at their comment to say, when we, as we obeyed Moses and all things, so we'll obey you. Okay, they said the same thing to Moses, and then the nation rebelled against Moses. I want to be clear about this and give them a little bit of credit here, okay? That generation that disobeyed Moses, they're all dead. This is a whole new generation that had not incurred the discipline of the Lord while living in, under Moses. Understand, the people that he's about to lead into the land, they had been in the wilderness wanderings too. They were just much younger. Okay, that first generation had died out. That second generation had not been disciplined. So in somewhat fairness, this group actually had done a fairly decent job of obeying Moses. Better than the previous generation. They weren't perfect. If you, if you remember back in Numbers, this is the group that ran off with the Midianite uh, peoples and fell into their idolatry. Um, they're not perfect, but they had certainly obeyed a little better. So I want to give a little bit of credit to them that, yes, they are obeying a little better. However, the reality is they're going to struggle too. Now, also in fairness, the book of Joshua overall, the tenor is, here's what it looks like for God's people to actually be faithful and fulfill the work of God. They certainly make mistakes in the book of Joshua. But there is a general thrust in the book of Joshua of here's what it looks like for God's people to obey and actually fulfill the kingdom advancement. When you get to the book of Judges, it's then the exact opposite. It's here's what it looked like for God's people to completely fall apart and disobey. 
So I want to be fair to this group of people. They are actually making some pretty substantial efforts here, remembering again their obligations to go into the land. And so they tell him, whatever you commanded us, we'll do, and wherever you send us, we'll go. Now remember, this group that's speaking here, it is a mix of both the officials of all the nation and specifically these three tribes I spoke about earlier. But they are remembering their obligation to God's kingdom. But here's another thing. They're remembering their obligation to God's people. This is another important dynamic in this discussion. It's not just about the advancement of the kingdom. It's also about being committed to God's people in fellowship with them, in support and care of them. And so that's another dynamic that comes into this discussion over their obligations. It's not just an obligation to advancing God's kingdom and glory. It's for the care of his people as well. And so they go in and they say, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may Yahweh your God be with you as he was with Moses. This is their prayer that the Lord would be with Joshua just like he was with Moses. This is very reminiscent of Moses' comment in Exodus 33 where he basically tells God, wherever we're going, Please be with us, because if you're not going there, we're not going. Making this commitment to only going where the Lord is going. And this is sort of a backwards way of saying that. If you're going to go, Joshua, let the Lord be with us as we go. Otherwise, this is not going to go well. And so they're praying that the Lord be with Joshua so that he can lead them well in faithful obedience as they take possession of the land and care for their brothers and sisters as they go into the land. And then they get into this really, really intense statement in verse 18. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, he shall be put to death. Now, this applies in two senses. First of all, there is a death penalty in various different contexts in the law of God for the nation of Israel. But this also applies in a very subtle way to the three tribes he told, you're going to go into the land and you're going to help. In other words, they're saying, look, if these guys don't go into the land and help like they said they would, this is part of the punishment. They're disobeying the commands of God. God told them to go and to help, speaking through the prophet Moses. So this is a pretty intense declaration of obedience, of resolving themselves to this work so much for so that they are putting lives on the line to ensure that they actually go and do. And then they finally end with this encouragement to Joshua, only be confident and strong. Again, we looked at this command that was given to Joshua three times in the previous paragraph. Your translation, again, probably says strong and courageous, which is a perfectly fine translation. Um, To put a little finer point on it, the first word refers to confidence. Again, a confidence in what the Lord has done in His faithfulness for the nation so that they can have confidence as they move forward in obedience into the land. The second word, again, I didn't, I didn't put it in the translation because it seems very West Texas to me and I just couldn't bring myself to it, but the best way I have to translate that word is grit. The, the idea of having this grit to be obedient, to follow through with what is actually to be done. They're calling upon Joshua to do the same thing that the Lord had called upon Joshua to do, and so they're giving him this encouragement as well. So again, they've, they've gone, they're going to ready themselves. They've remembered their obligations to the nation, these three tribes. And now they are resolving themselves to this work. Again, not just to the advancement of God's kingdom in the land, and not just to the glory of God, but also to his people, to the care 
and concern of their brothers and sisters within the nation of Israel. And we're going to see the same thing needs to be the case for ourselves. And so again, we need to resolve ourselves to the work of the kingdom. We need to have a commitment to the kingdom that we are part of. And we need to have a commitment to God's people. If the extent of our connection with God's people is shallow, it's not going to help them or ourselves. So we need to have that commitment as well. You've probably um, read in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this comment that Paul makes here. And I think this is, this is a wonderful example of what it means to really throw ourselves fully into this work to have this great resolve to Christ and His kingdom and His people. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The idea here is that I'm giving everything of me over to the Lord. I'm giving it all up, sacrificing my best to the least, all of it over to Him in my life, resolving myself to His glory, to His kingdom, and His people. That's part of the deal. Now, you probably heard the uh, parable of the chicken and the pig. The chicken comes to the pig and says, hey, what are we going to do? Or I guess the pig comes to the chicken and says, what are we going to do for breakfast? The chicken says, hey, we'll do eggs and ham. Needless to say, the pig's like, hold on. (laughs) Um, Not a good idea, because you see, you're just making a contribution I'm having to commit to a sacrifice here. Because he'd have to give up his whole life to provide the ham, right? The egg doesn't, or the chicken doesn't have to do that. But this is exactly what we're being called to do. We're being called to throw in this full commitment. And that's what it's going to cost. It's going to cost all of us. Not this casual little contribution. It's going to cost all of us to this work. And so the first thing we need to do is to resolve to trust in the Lord's will. That everything He has for us in our lives, in our call to make His kingdom known, in the way our suffering plays out, all of it is for our good and for His glory. Not only this, but then to resolve that His will and His ideas for my life are better than my own. Because unfortunately, humans are notoriously bad at deciding what's good. And so we have to cast off what we think is good in our own eyes and look to what's good in the eyes of the Lord and resolve ourselves to that will. And the reality is that will includes working to advance His kingdom for His glory. But again, here's the other side of that. It is resolving ourselves to faithful obedience in all things for His kingdom and His people. It is very important, especially in a culture like ours that is just filled with Christianized culture, that we don't look at the time that we spend here on Sunday morning as sufficient commitment to God's people, because it isn't. This is a wonderful time. This is a blessed time. It's a wonderful time of fellowship. But if the only time you're spending with God's people is these three hours on Sunday morning, I submit to you it's insufficient. It is not 
that you get to come here, spend your three hours and say, see how I fulfilled the command to not forsake the gathering together of God's people? Just so you can tick a box. It's not sufficient. It's spending time with one another outside this time. In service to one another, in prayer for one another, encouragement for one another. Being there to build each other up in hard times. Being there at late at night. We used to talk about who's your 3 a.m. friend. Who's the person you know you can call at 3 a.m. and they're right on the spot ready to go for you. That's what life together looks like. If this is all you're doing with God's people, that's not sufficient support of God's people. Nor is it ultimately going to be sufficient for you when you're in need. It's being there for each other consistently. It's having meals together outside of this time. It's having coffee together outside of this time. It's being there to go and help in times of need. That's what it looks like to commit to God's people as well as the work of His kingdom. And you'll also see how that feeds back into working for His kingdom. Because as we support and care for one another and build each other up, that strengthens us to be able to go and do the work of the kingdom. It also, as Jesus points out, demonstrates that we are in fact His disciples. Because it's not just, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. What he said was, they'll know you're my disciples for your love for one another. And it shows all more the glory of Christ that has changed us to support and care for one another. So again, we were going to resolve ourselves to trust in his will. And that means resolving ourselves to faithful obedience for his kingdom and for his people. So again, we ready ourselves by abiding in Christ we remember our obligations as his disciples to advance his kingdom, and we resolve ourselves to the work of that kingdom and to the care and fellowship of God's people. So any questions or comments about anything we've covered today? All right, so remember our main idea for today is this, that the holy and faithful God we serve calls on his people to resolve themselves fully to the work of the kingdom. And so as we go before the table today, we need to carefully consider how we put off readying ourselves, how we procrastinated, put that aside, not committed to the things that are necessary to be fully abiding in Christ, leaning completely upon his grace, leaning completely upon his faithful obedience so that we might faithfully obey. We need to consider how we failed to remember our obligations to the kingdom, how we've just sort of taken advantage of our entry into the kingdom because of what Jesus has done, but then cast off any obligation to that kingdom. And we also need to spend time in confession and honest reflection of how we have put off the fellowship of God's people how we've done just the bare minimum to get by spending time with God's people and not really thrown ourselves into being with one another. But we also need to take time to give thanks and praise to the Lord Jesus, again, because of His faithfulness, because of His obedience. He made it possible for us to ready ourselves by abiding in Him. He made it possible for us to actually fulfill our obligation to his kingdom and the proclamation of the gospel.
And by grace, he has made it possible for us to actually have the strength to resolve ourselves to the work of the kingdom and the care of God's people. And so as we come to this table today, we need to remember that and praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you thanks and praise. Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness, for your obedience has made all this possible. We come before you confessing our laziness in readying ourselves, our laziness in refusal to abide in you, to remain in close fellowship with you, to spend the time with you, to throw ourselves upon your strength. Lord, we confess to you that we have put off our obligations to you and your kingdom, to one another, and failed to resolve ourselves to the work you have called us to in obedience, to advance your kingdom, to care for your people, and to bring glory to your name. But again, Lord, as we come to this table, we give praise and thanks to you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness and obedience so that we might faithfully obey you in your grace, in your strength, in your power, that we would abide in you and that we would fulfill our obligation to the kingdom and to your people. We pray this all in the blessed name of Jesus the Christ, our King. Thank you for listening to the Faith Pampa podcast. We hope that this message was an encouragement to you. For more information on Faith Bible Church, please visit www.faithpampa.org.